What is up, everybody? Welcome back to TMT Time. I'm your host, Evan Rothstein. Today, I am joined by my first guest, who is actually sitting in a publicly elected office, and that is the Attorney General of the state of Colorado, Phil Weiser. Phil, welcome into TMT Time. Great to join you, Evan. For those of you that don't know, if you're in Colorado, you probably already know this, but Phil is the reason the singular reason why I live in this state. So uh, I hold him in a very high regard. I have special affinity for him, and I'm delighted that he has given us and our listeners some of his time so I can grill him on a bunch of stuff as if I'm a Supreme Court justice. I appreciate oral arguments, and I appreciate that I was able to pay it forward. I'm here because David E. Bell, a judge in the Tensor Court of Appeals, hired me as a law clerk, and then I had the chance and you're in a category of few folks, to recruit students to come to Colorado and discover what we all here know, which is life is better here. It, it is certainly better here. We are very fortunate that you have stayed here with your family, and now that you are serving the higher purpose and in public interest after being the dean of the law school here at the University of Colorado. Phil, for those of our listeners who may not know you, give us the 90 seconds snapshot of who you are, where you are, and how you got there. So my parents are both immigrants who were the first people in their family to go to college. Both of them lived at home, went to college. We're talking about my journey. I applied to colleges having no idea what this meant, because when you're the first in your family to do something, you don't really have a lot of people. So um, I happened to be told by my guidance counselor to visit Swarthmore College. Um, I thought, this looks like college. Didn't know much about it. Ended up getting a lifelong mentor there, Richard Rubin, who helped guide me as I was thinking about public services as my calling to give back to um, our great nation, which welcomed um, my mom, my grandparents here after they survived the Holocaust. That's what brought me to law school. And then at law school, I had another great mentor, Chris Eisgruber, who told me I needed to clerk for a judge. And that's how I got to know David Ebell, who became yet another great mentor. After another set of clerkships with Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Byron White, I worked at the Justice Department in antitrust and technology, and that launched a whole area for me that I hadn't predicted, which is the tech world, where I went out uh, back to CU. I was thrilled to come back to Colorado to be a professor of law and telecommunications, built the Center of Law, Technology, and Entrepreneurship, served in the Obama administration uh, doing that work. Then, as you noted, became dean of the law school, the hardest job I will ever have. And then was getting ready to go back to work in a Hillary Clinton administration before history kind of jumped the track. And we didn't have that world. Instead, we had a world where I thought, how do I protect things that I believe in in Colorado? And that's what led me to run for attorney general. So here I am as Colorado's attorney general. Is that 90 seconds, Evan? That, that fit right in. You did a good job there, counselor. Uh, for, for, like I said, the, Phil helped recruit me to go to the law school here in 2000. So I have known him for now 20 almost 22 years, basically, which is incredible because I don't know that many people for that long. Uh, I owe a very large debt of gratitude to Phil uh, and will always do what he asks. So I'm glad that for the first time I asked him to do something, which has come on this podcast, he politely said yes. Uh, and so the, the, the first question I have for you, Phil, which is an interesting one, I think, is most people think of the attorney general as sort of the top law officer of a state or the top law officer of the country. And it's usually filled by ex-prosecutors, sometimes law enforcement officers. You took a, a different sort of path 
you are focused big on policy. So what I would like to know and love to hear from you is why you chose to take this position or run for this position and how you have used it as a policy driver here in the state of Colorado, because from my vantage point, I, that's what I have seen you do. So there are a few different answers. One thing it's worth noting, if you go back over the last you know, 20 years or so, John Southers and both and Ken Salazar are two uh, noted AGs who both served uh, two terms. In Ken's case, he didn't serve the second half of his second term because he became senator. Ken's background was protecting our land, air, and water. John's background was criminal justice. A third major area of our office is consumer protection. And I don't know that Colorado has had an attorney general with as much of a lifelong passion and experience in consumer protection. Uh, J.D. McFarland, who served um, 1974 to 82, had strong interest in that area. But I'm someone who comes at this job having worked at the federal Department of Justice under two different administrations in consumer protection, having done a lot of work there, particularly as I noted in the technology space. Our office's impact in consumer protection is um, powerful. And part of how we make it more powerful is to your point, which is I don't view myself as an attorney general in the narrow sense of I wait for something to happen and then I respond. I view myself as the people's lawyer, as a champion for the people of Colorado. And if I see issues that hurt the people of Colorado, I'm going to lean in. So that might be, how do we get Denver TV to Durango County? Or how do we get broadband to kids who don't have access to it during a pandemic and can't be in school? Or how do we go about addressing privacy rights of uh, consumers who feel like they're getting taken advantage of? In each of those areas, we didn't bring a lawsuit, but we worked on solutions. In one case, it was... Um, leaning in on the major satellite companies and the broadcasters in Denver to get a solution that brought TV to Durango, which was not getting Denver TV. In another case, we had a consent decree that was in place that we forced T-Mobile to provide broadband to kids during the pandemic who otherwise weren't gonna have access to schooling. And then finally last year, we passed a law. It was bipartisan, passed unanimously in our state Senate. That was the third such law in the nation. It was a comprehensive data privacy law protecting people of Colorado. So my orientation is about how we protect people. And my approach, as you noted, is entrepreneurial. I'm going to look to solve problems. And we've got a lot of tools to solve problems here in the AG's office. So I have a question for you. Do you get pushback? And where does it come from on being what I would call an activist or a pro, you call it proactive, not being a reactive attorney general, being a proactive attorney general do you get pushback on that and where does it come from? There is, I believe, in some quarters, a narrative that the attorney general role should be reactive and limited and stay in its proper lane. And you hear that word uh, used pejoratively, uh, activist. Um, I will readily admit I am proactive and I am active because when it comes to solving problems facing the people of Colorado, I am not going to feel that I am in a box. Yeah, I mean, I've seen you be proactive with COVID fraud or, or healthcare fraud. And, uh, you know, you hear about it, you sometimes read about it. And, but when with you, with your office, you're putting it out there, this is happening. Here's what you need to do to avoid it. 
and then here's what we're doing. I assume in that area, you're also working with sort of state and local officials to help build that from the bottom up as well. Yeah, this is a critical part of how I describe my job. We are partners with leaders across Colorado. We are better together. We are a team. And my goal when I'm done as attorney general is that leaders in local government will say, we want an attorney general who works with us. Um, my predecessor actually uh, sued a local governmental entity without talking to them first. And there was a much more adversarial relationship between local governments and the state AG, if there was a relationship at all. My goal is for them to see us as a partner, as a, a fellow problem solver, and find ways to solve problems, whether it's fraud uh, that may be coming people's ways, including uh, in the wake of the fires in, in Boulder, there could be lots of fraudsters out there. We need to work together with local law enforcement, with local government leaders, to make sure that legitimate entities are uh, the ones responding and those who are seeking to take advantage of those in crisis are actually held accountable. And that's something that happened during COVID. We had to work with local public health agencies on, again, what were appropriate measures happening and what were scam efforts happening. And that's something that we're gonna continue doing, which is to be an effective partner and collaborator. All right, I have to go back to broadband because this is a TMT time podcast. And for, for those that don't know, Phil's main background is technology policy uh, or telecom policy. So he is a, an apropos guest for TMT time. You've been pushing rural broadband for a long time. Um, it was for probably different reasons when it started in terms of getting access to the same information that the rest of us have access to now. It, it turned a little bit with the pandemic into everything went online and focused on kids and education. So what did you do in that regard? And how did you make sure that at least in Colorado, when kids could not set foot in the school buildings, they were still able to have access to learning? We were fortunate in that we had a consent decree with T-Mobile that in the consent decree, they were required to provide hotspots to parts of Colorado. Once the pandemic hit, we said to them, here's what we want you to do. We wanna figure out where there are kids who lack access to broadband and who need broadband for their online schooling. And we want you to give them the free hotspots. And they said, okay, we'll do it. And so that was a Band-Aid. We then filed a petition that was a novel issue at the Federal Communications Commission. Unfortunately, it has not been uh, acted on to get the so-called E-rate funds, which are to provide broadband in schools and have that money available for people whose classroom is their home to be able to cover those expenses. Um, and I don't believe, as we're unfortunately continuing to see, we're not done with pandemics or the possibility of ever having remote learning opportunities. And one of the most painful parts of the pandemic, and there are so many, is the kids who lost schooling in some part because they may not have had broadband connections. We need to take a long, hard look at ourselves in the mirror and say, if we care about equity and inclusion, everybody needs to be connected. And the idea that people would have to go to McDonald's parking lot to do their homework is so fundamentally unfair and wrong 
um, that we can't allow that to happen, which is why I also led the coalition of state AGs on a bipartisan basis to push for funding broadband in the Recovery Act and then what became the infrastructure bill. Um, that funding has gotten provided and now we have the obligation to make sure we use that funding effectively so that once and for all, we make plain this promise. If you are living here in Colorado, wherever you live, you need access to viable broadband. Um, in some very, very remote areas, that might be wireless or satellite, but more and more, we are seeing fiber deployed and leveraging higher speeds because for so many of our lives, whether it's our work, our telemedicine, education, what have you, we need broadband. This is not a luxury good. This is an essential service. And so, yes, Evan, you're right. For me, this has been a 20-year journey. I have seen the importance of this. I've worked on it for a very long time. Now I'm in a position to do something about it. Yeah, and, and the, the purpose has always been the same, but sort of the necessity others are finally now seeing. Uh, and some of the things that you're mentioning, healthcare is provided, you know, telemedicine, but schooling now is, is remote learning and everyone deserves at least the access to the same information. And if you don't have it at the Wi-Fi level or the satellite level, you're not getting it. You actually can't do it. So I do applaud you for those efforts. And, but I want the main message I want people to know is this is not a pandemic driven thing for you. This is a driven from, you know, 15 years ago driven thing um, in terms of equality and equity of access and inclusion. So thank you for your efforts on that. All right, you mentioned the Colorado fires briefly. Uh, what is the uh, AG's office doing and planning to do to help Coloradans in dealing with uh, the incredible amount of loss and suffering that we faced in the last couple of days? We are, as I mentioned, committed to supporting the people of Colorado and so many in Boulder County are suffering. One critical area that we're going to be focused on is how we support people and ensure that insurance claims are handled properly. And so that is gonna be an area that we're gonna look into and make sure to be supporting people. Second, we are aware that during these times of crises, there are lots of potential scams that happen seeking to capitalize on the goodwill that's out there. And to the extent there are any such efforts that are purporting to be legitimate relief efforts and aren't, we are going to go after them, or if there are efforts that are purporting to help people with their insurance claims and they're fraudulent, we're going to go after them. Um, it is sickening that times of crisis bring out scam artists to prey on people, but we know it's true. There were people during the pandemic who pretended to be a county public health department doing contact tracing, but were really trying to get your credit card number so they could defraud you. And we get those reports at a um, area called stopfraudcolorado.gov. You can go to the website. You can call us. We will take those complaints. And then as we see those patterns emerge, we can take action and have on a range of fronts. All right. I want to switch gears now to some sort of lessons for folks in the legal field. Phil, you run the largest law office in the state, I believe. It's like, what, 330 lawyers at the AG's office or something thereabouts? Something like that. How have you managed to lead an office of that size and what have been your strate strategic goals and, and organizational sort of ideas to help 
build and have a functioning office of that size. And especially when now everybody is mostly remote. I think a lot about this. And when we started, I had the great benefit of a phenomenal chief deputy, Natalie Hanlon-Lay, who I know you know as well, Evan. She is an accomplished lawyer, was managing partner at the Wilmer Hale office here in Colorado, and also a leading national litigator in patent cases. And Natalie and I started with a overall vision for the office, which is together, and this was one we built with our leadership team. Together, we serve Colorado, advancing the rule of law, protecting our democracy and promoting justice for all. So it's important to have your why statement. Why do we do what we do? And to remind people of that. And then we have our how statement, our core values, which is we're principled. We're about doing the right thing the right way. We're public servants. We're serving the public. When, when we do our work, we're constantly asking, how can this serve the public? We are innovative to our prior conversation. We're not waiting for some old roadmap or playbook to be given to us. We're asking, how do we solve problems creatively and effectively? And finally, we're better together. We're collaborators. We seek to work with others to solve problems. So I try to lead from values as much as we can. And then the second major point I would say is to be as empathetic as possible, particularly during a pandemic when so many people are struggling and suffering. How do we give people grace? How do we give people space? Uh, the difficulty that people have experienced with a lack of boundaries between their work life and their home life, between fears of their health, or in some cases, people they are close to have been hurt economically. We have a lot that we need to support people. And it's, it's critical that people know we care about them as people. And I think the third point I would say is, we're trying to build a culture where people feel supported as possible, able to grow, and knowing that we care about them and treat them as professionals. Because if we can have people thinking about the Department of Law as a place that they're going to become better lawyers, better professionals, effective parts of a team, we're going to attract better talent, we're going to retain better talent. And I do believe in so many professions, law is notable, it's all about talent. And so if you can attract talented people and keep talented people, you're just going to be better off. And so it's important that you put people at the center of your mission and how you best support people and their development. And I take recruiting people very seriously. I do every final interview and I take every law seriously. We do exit interviews every time someone leaves. For people that don't know, because you're not in Colorado, the AG's office has in the last two years hired a lot of folks like me or like me plus 15 years who have that additional wisdom. In other words, X uh, either big law or complex law refugees that are joining the AG's office to do good or public interest. Um, and so when you say acquiring talent, it's not, it's not just intellectual talent, it's sort of well-rounded talent from experience, from background and diversity of perspectives. And the main thing that I took away from what you said is empathy, because if you've listened to this podcast at all, Phil, I talk about empathy in almost every single episode and leading with empathy and meeting people where they are and appreciating where they are when you talk to them um, to help better understand where they may be coming from. So I do appreciate your thoughts on how you built the office. We're appreciative in the state of Colorado and I, I think others would do well to emulate that uh, as much as they can. Um, I have lots of 
personal related questions for you, Phil, that I want to get out so that you can answer them and people can get to know you a little bit better uh, like I can. Uh, at the end of every episode, I ask fun related questions. Uh, I already got before we started recording where your daughter is looking at college and <clears throat> it's where you went. I know you didn't put your thumb on the scale there. You were a big Mets fan. Uh, and so I'm going to ask a Mets question, then I'm going to get in some others. Who is, in your opinion, the best Mets pitcher of all time? Come on. This is a layup. It's Tom Terrific. Um, okay, the, good. I yeah, still the, have a Tom the, Terrific autograph when he came to spring training at High Corbett Field in Tucson, Arizona in the 80s. Yeah, so when he passed, I read a bit about Tom Seaver. I mean, I grew up with Tom Seaver. And everyone um, who grows up a sports fan has an experience of you know, who's the giant, who's the hero. And for me, it was Tom Seaver. And of course I had the experience, and this is a quintessential Mets fan experience, which is also unfortunately a Rockies fan experience. Um, Nolan Arenado being traded away. It was like Tom Seaver being traded away. Um, and they both happened. And it happened to me when I was uh, nine years old, that Tom Seaver was traded to the Cincinnati Reds. And you couldn't believe that it happened. Um, and the Mets, again, this is for those non-Mets fans or non-Mets aware people, the New York Mets traded away both Nolan Ryan and Tom Seaver, who were two of the best pitchers in the last, call it 60 years. Um, the Mets uh, would find a way to undermine themselves and to blow it almost every way possible um, with the magical exception of 1969 and 1986. Um, in the Rockies case, I think we have the magical exception of 2007 when my son was born. Um, I, I often joked, as did my wife, that the Rockies World Series going the other way would have meant that our son would have been named Ibaldo's, Ibaldo Imanez Weiser, which would have been a unique name, but could have been earned if- Cross-cultural. Uh, yeah, cross-cultural reference. But, but that was, a, you know, Imanez was magical that year. The Rockies were magical. Um, I, I wish that World Series was different, but unfortunately, um, the Rockies and the Mets mostly deliver uh, lessons in resilience, and, and I'm better for those lessons. All right, here's a harder question. What Mets baseball player wore a helmet when he played in the field? Oh, wow. Help me out here. First baseman. Uh, Ed Cranepool? No. Uh, Keith Hernandez? Oh, I love Keith. Keith Hernandez was on Seinfeld. I know. That's that was really, like. that was a great Seinfeld. It was so Mets good. first baseman. Was it pre-Ed Crane? Was it earlier? 90s. 90s. 90s first baseman, left hit, left handed hitter, smooth. I think he won a batting. Title. Oh, I remember it was uh, he played for the Blue Jays, John O'Leary, yeah. right? Yes, yes, he played, he won the batting title with the Blue Jays and then came to the Mets, John O'Leary. Yep, you know, okay. sweet swing. All right, per By the way, Sean Green, who also played for the Mets, is one of the few Jewish baseball players. His dad said to him, You're more likely to own a baseball team than be a baseball player. Actually, there, there's in the, I used to have the, I think I got it from my bar mitzvah, the book, Best Jewish Baseball Players, because at that time I was still playing, going to plan to play in the, the dangers until I stopped growing. All right. Person alive that you would like to go to dinner with and why? So if I get to have dinner with Michael Lewis, I think I author, would. Author of Blindside. Yeah. Blindside, Moneyball, and this great book about the pandemic called Premonition. You know, I, I do think Michael Lewis is an unbelievable storyteller and a unbelievable 
you know, astute observer of the world. So I am a huge Michael Lewis fan. So from in, you know, existing authors, I put him sort of high on the list. Um, so he's the first one who comes comes to mind for me. Um, if if I can go not alive, I would probably quickly say Nelson Mandela. Um, I just think as we look back on what South Africa was able to have in a truth and reconciliation moment, and you probably saw the movie Invictus, which captured a little bit of his leadership. Yeah, and that, Desmond um, Tutu just passed recently. And Desmond so. Tutu, uh, another great leader. You know, that's that's a, a story that um, is 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 remarkable, and Mandela's uh, perseverance remarkable. So anytime you've had leaders like Mandela, you have to appreciate them, um, and so that would be another one for not alive. What's the last book you read? So uh, I'm not, reading not telecom law and policy. I'm reading Dune right now. I've read Dune oh, yeah. myself. I read yeah. it to my daughter. I'm reading it to my son. Um, it, it is a great book and I, I recommend the movie as well. I actually just watched the movie and I'm trying to get my son to read the book as well. All right. Last question is tech focus. What three big tech policy changes do you think are on the horizon for 2022 or what tech policy changes do you want to see happen? Okay. Um, the first thing I want to say is it is a painful statement that Washington is broken and that as you think about drivers of policy, the founders of our country believed in Congress. That's why it's article one. I look forward to when Congress can once again resume its rightful place in our system of governance, but I don't think that's happening this year. So I think the major tech policy and public policy issues are more likely to happen maybe in the executive branch, but actually more likely in the states. You saw last year, I mentioned Colorado passed a comprehensive data privacy law. Um, we're gonna be doing rulemaking this year. I think other states are gonna be acting in this area and privacy is an area where people are poised for there to be, I believe, greater accountability for actors who are taking people's data, not telling people what they're doing with it, being deceptive, misusing it. So that's a big one, obviously. All right. Thanks, Phil. I'm going to end on a personal antidote to humanize you a little more. And this is a good story that I'm not sure that you've heard me tell lately. I had a seminar in law school with Phil and many of the people in the seminar are now also big law partners like myself at various firms around town, but we were sitting in the seminar and uh, one of the people, he, Phil was co-teaching with Ray Gifford, who is on the other side of the political spectrum, but good friends with Phil. And so they would have general banter in this class and someone brought in a baby and this was before Phil had kids. So this is like, I don't know, 2002 maybe. And someone brought in a baby, handed it to Phil. Phil was teaching the class. He had one of his treatises in one hand that he was reading and had the baby in the other hand. And he put the baby on his knee and he's bouncing it on his knee. And he looks over at Ray and he says, see, I could do this. Uh, and I remember distinctly, I still remember this because Phil is the hardest working person I think that I've ever known. And honestly, when I looked at it, I thought to myself, there's no way you can do anything but the treatise. So now that you are both doing, you're doing the treatise, the kids, and leading the attorney general's office for the state of Colorado, you have done it. Thank you very much for your service, Phil. Thank you for your time today. We appreciate it. TMT time appreciates it. Our listeners appreciate it. Good to catch up with you. Always great. Having a pleasure.